13 seconds to go in the overtime, 22 to 19 San Francisco. McKinnon is in at running back, first down and goal to go. Play action fake, right side throw, touchdown! Kansas City, McCall Hardman, McCall Hardman with the catch on the right side. A three yard touchdown pass in overtime. Kansas City wins the game, 25, 22. And the Chiefs kingdom has started its own history class. Fifth Mog fans, welcome back. It's time. Patrick Jamar, Paul Kashak, the commish, on the mic for you. Super Bowl is done and dusted, my friends. Kansas City Chiefs, back-to-back champions. Patty Mahomes and Andy Reid add ring number three to their collection, to their trophy cases. Unbelievable. I, I, I can't believe it. Awesome game. 25-22 final score. Paul, was this... Uh, my immediate reaction was this was one of the greatest football games I've ever seen, I think, even though the first like 30 minutes of it sucked. <laughs> um, yeah, I wouldn't put it quite up in the like greatest games I've ever seen just because that first half was lackluster. But I mean, I could go so far as to maybe say the second half of football and then including overtime was one of one of the best 30 minute stretches of football I've seen. But yeah, that first half was slow. And then the third quarter was was pretty slow, too, at least the the first half of the third quarter when you had Mahomes throwing the pick to open up and San Francisco just kind of trading three and outs back and forth. But great finish, man. Great finish. I I actually thought the first half was just, for the most part, these two teams canceling each other out, like trying to figure out ways to break each other down. The The first touchdown came on that crazy uh, Jawan Jennings touchdown pass. By the way, did you know he was uh, – originally signed as a quarterback at Tennessee. I did. Uh, yep, yep. Well, I didn't know that going into the game, but uh, that's been floating around social media quite a bit. So yeah, I've seen that that lying around. He was out of high school. He was ranked one position ahead of Sam Darnold, the Niners backup quarterback in the uh, quarterback rankings nationally, which I, I think is kind of funny. Yeah, I, th- I thought I saw he was also ranked higher nationally than, uh, or he was the highest ranked quarterback out of high school out of any quarterbacks that, that were there like including Purdy and Mahomes could have that uh that wrong but I think he was the highest I think you're uh, right I don't think they were in the same quarterback class but just in terms of their their overall rank respective to their class I think he was the highest one I see what you're saying I see what you're saying um also became the second player in NFL history to have a receiving and passing touchdown in the same game shout out Nick Foles uh, the first to do that against my New England Patriots, of course. It always comes back to the Patriots what, somehow. Yeah, what interesting company that is. <laughs> the only people to have receiving and passing touchdowns are Jawan Jennings, who, granted, if you include Kittle as a receiver, he's probably he's the fourth pass catching option, although we'll talk about him in a phenomenal game. We'll talk about him more in depth. You got basically the fourth, pa- fourth pass catching option for the Niners has accomplished this. And then a, basically a backup quarterback in Nick Foles has done it as well. Pretty elite company, I guess. It's, it's very, very odd when uh, you look back on that in 10 or 15 years. Did you just say George Kittle had a phenomenal game? You do realize no, he had two two catches no, for four yards, no, right? No, no, no. Sorry if I sorry if I wasn't clear with my with my wordage. I'm saying John Jennings had a phenomenal oh, game. Oh, I was oh, saying wow. if you include George Kittle as a wide receiver, I was going to say then like Jennings is the number four wide receiver. Just getting into semantics between Kittle tight end receiver. He's the fourth pass catching option. Juwan Jennings is what I was getting at. <laughs> he he didn't look much like the fourth pass catching option in this game. He looked more like the seventh or eighth. That was one of 
That was one Juan of the, Jennings. No, you're, George you're, Kittle. George yeah, you still get. Maybe I'm still not articulating this well enough. No, Juwan I, Jennings is the fourth pass catching option. I know what you're saying. I know yeah. what you're saying. Okay, I got you. Now we're on the same page. Yeah. Um. Yeah, man. Usually I'm on. Usually I have been on the bad end of our predictions for games this year, but you kind of had a rough go of it this time around. Um. I'm. I'm not gonna hold you too close to the fire because of it. Only because. I made the same mistake betting against Mahomes the two weeks prior, and you've been on Mahomes since like week 13. But you remember when we ended the show on Thursday night, I guess Friday's episode, the last thing I asked you was if you were letting emotions get the best of you, like just not wanting Patrick Mahomes to win. And that's why you didn't pick him. And I think I got you there. I think that was the case. Well, I, I said this. I said it was more of just the fact that I've been preaching the 49ers throughout the whole course of the season. It wasn't a disdain for Patrick Mahomes. And I, I even said... No, it was your love for McCaffrey and Shanahan and Kittle and, and the Niners. Right, right, exactly. It didn't have anything to do with not wanting Mahomes to win. It was that I've been preaching this 49ers team all year. And if you also remember, I said... You could probably ask me the same question if I was taking the Chiefs just because of how staunchly I was saying that Mahomes is better than Brady when it comes to playoff time and how he's going to surpass him and he doesn't necessarily need the Super Bowls. But yes, I appreciate you not holding my feet to the fire too much. And um, I'll also say I, I've been on Mahomes' bandwagon the, the whole time, not just since week 13. But for this game, you are right. You had Kansas City winning this game. I had San Francisco winning it comfortably. And because of that, if you'll allow me to, Patrick, I have uh, five things in the nature of fifth and long that I'd like to apologize for. Please, by all means. They are brash takes that I have to walk back after this past game and the season. So are you ready for them? Yeah, I'm going to kick my feet up and uh, sip my hot tea over here and just enjoy for a second. Okay. Number one of crazy things that I have said on the podcast throughout the course of this football season is that Kyle Shanahan was a better coach than Andy Reid. That could not be further from the truth. If you look at this game, I thought the play calling was horrendous from Shanahan. Uh, the run pass ratio wasn't like absurd, but uh, they should have run the ball a ton more with McCaffrey of which we'll get into that. And yeah, I thought that they were just passing the ball and early downs too much. And it led to a ton of third and longs 49ers, not very efficient on third downs. I think average down and distance was like eight or nine yards. So it's just not a recipe for success. How many more times can you realistically give McCaffrey the ball in this game though? He had 30 touches, like he had 30 touches, but consider this, that he had a full extra quarter to do it, you know, like, so think of it in reality, his actual um, touches were, Probably around like 25, 26. Yeah, take like 80% of of 30. And that's in reality during a normal NFL game, what his workload probably would have been. And I I just also, if you look to the run pass split, I mean, San Francisco was leading this game for the majority of the time, at least a lot more than Kansas City was. And I think they threw the ball 39 times to to 31 rushes. And then, you know, also considered the fact that Purdy had a couple scrambles in there. So it was even a couple more design throws uh, compared to design runs. So that's what I'm getting at. When you want to know how many times McCaffrey touched the ball in that overtime, actually nine times as he should have, but I'm, I'm, I'm saying that the, that should have been the recipe in the third quarter as well. And like they, he only touched the ball like twice. So that's the first thing I got to apologize for Kyle Shanahan, though. I still think he's a very good coach. I thought he coached a horrendous game. Um, and I'll get into some other things that I think do not bode well for him in regards to how this game played out. 
but he is certainly not a better coach than Andy Reid. Well, talk about it. What what do you think went wrong the most? Okay, so if if we're getting into this point here, uh, the first thing I'd say, obviously, I talked about the the lack of usage of McCaffrey in the third quarter. They came out uh, with three straight passes after the Mahomes interception to start the second half, and they're at what Kansas City's? They're somewhere inside of Kansas City's forty-five. Yeah, I think it that went the, incompletion, false start. I think they had another incompletion after that, and then they punted. Sounds about right. And so now you're not even even able to get a field goal in that situation. Like I think McCaffrey has, you got to run the ball at least twice there and at least put yourself in a situation where you can kick a field goal. Jake Moody had already made a 55 yarder at that point. So um, I like he had shown that he has the ability to make it. So all you need to do is pick up a couple yards at least. I just think it's, you got to put Brock Purdy in a better situation to succeed. The third down conversion rate looks really bad for San Fran, but I mean, they were faced with third and, and double-digit yards to go a ton in this game. So that doesn't bode well. And if you look at – they were going empty backfield so much. Like, they weren't really disguising what they were trying to do very well. And when they did try to run the ball, they would always motion use check back into the backfield and do that eye formation, which, like, I like use check blocking for McCaffrey, but you need to mix it up. You need to run it out of the shotgun. Sometimes you need to go play action off of those I formations and mix it up. Like I thought it was a little bit too predictable based on formation and the play calling didn't layer off of each other very well. So that was the big thing there for Shanahan. And then also I thought he, he left two timeouts in his back pocket at the end of the first half, like the chiefs converted to get into the red zone with like a little over a minute to go and San Francisco had all three of their timeouts and they just let Kansas city run the clock down the rest of the way in the first half and kick a field goal. And he took two timeouts with him into the half. Obviously, you know, that's wasted timeouts there. I think if you could use those, you could at least get Purdy the ball back with maybe like 40 seconds or something like that. And a chance to score some more points. And we obviously know that could have been the difference in the game. You give him a chance to potentially score at the end of the first half. Um, maybe it doesn't lead to anything, but I think it's a risk that you have to take in that situation because you're not getting the ball to start the second half. And you know Patrick Mahomes is going to start cooking eventually. Your defense isn't going to hold forever. So you need to still try to rack up as many points as you can, even though to that point it seemed like a defensive battle. Yeah, I haven't I heard many people talking about that one yet, but I, I thought he should have utilized those timeouts better at the end of the first half. I've seen some stuff on it. Historically, Shanahan plays really conservatively in the second half. He almost goes with the thought process of like, I don't want to risk turning the ball over and giving the other team more points, which I mean, to be fair, like you had a lead going into the half against Mahomes. That's where you want to be. But if you have an opportunity to score more points, you should definitely attempt to. So I, I it wasn't something, it wasn't the things against Shanahan that I didn't like the most. It wasn't one of those items, but it was, it wasn't something I necessarily liked either. Like I could have taken it or, or left it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I hear you. Um, I, I just think, you know what, when you're playing Patrick Mahomes, you can't just get too conservative and, and play back because the guy will catch up to you at some point, you know, so you got to risk it to win the biscuit. Uh, the other main thing that stood out to me with Kyle Shanahan was the decision to defer and at overtime. Now, I've actually gone back and forth on this myself because I've heard the argument that 
all right, not the worst call because the defense was just out there at the end of regulation and they could have been tired. And now you're potentially putting them back out on the field for back-to-back defensive possessions. Did you hear what he said about uh, deferring? I thought his reasoning. Taking the ball first, I mean. I could be wrong on this. I thought his reasoning was that if they both traded either touchdowns and field goals, then the Niners would get the final possession. Like if it was equal after the first two, by taking the ball first, you then have the advantage uh, with with that final possession. Like the Chiefs wouldn't get a second rebuttal. Is that what you're referring to? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, they were the- they were playing for the third possession. That's what he was quoted as saying in, in the post game press conference. He wanted that third sudden death possession essentially. But yeah, on the flip side of it, after the game, uh, Hughescheck, Eric Armstead were just a couple of 49ers players that were quoted saying they didn't know that about the new rules about the new playoff rules. Whereas the chiefs have been practicing this and installing this and going over this since like training camp. And that's just a huge difference in terms of like attention to detail, making sure everybody on your roster knows everything so that there's no, um, lack of communication that everybody's on the same page at all times. You can't risk having any misstep or moment where that's not the case in a game of this magnitude. Agree a hundred percent. And that was actually going to be my final point is that I, I had heard what use check said. Um, and that's, that's reprehensible as well. The fact that, that some of his players said that they didn't know the rules. I mean, I know that this is a new change and this is actually the first time that we have seen it implemented, but that's terrible, man. Like those, those guys have to absolutely know the situation at hand and, and the risks and that has to factor into the decision-making there. So you're right. I mean, just in that, in and of itself, Kansas city was a better coach team than, than San Francisco in this one. And then, you know, small things like the, the, the punt going off of uh, the guy's leg and that sets up Kansas city for touchdowns, like little things like that are signs of a team that wasn't uh, coached nearly well enough. And so for that, I have to walk back that take. I thought Shanahan has done a very impressive job still over the past couple of years. And last year with Brock Purdy as a rookie to get them as deep as they did, I give him a ton of credit, but um Brady's more mature this year. The team's very good. And I thought, I still thought that top to bottom, if you exclude the quarterback position, they had the better roster in this one and they did not come out victorious. So I'll walk back that take big time. Andy Reid, absolutely the best coach in the game right now. So Uh, let me, I I do have one kind of counterpoint to you as far as the run game goes. Um, So first of all, Christian McCaffrey in this game was held to his lowest yard per carry in any game with the 49ers in which he has had Trent Williams available to play. Uh, He was held to 3.6 yards per carry on 22 rushing attempts. Um, Also, if you go and look at their third quarter drives, the first first down play of those third quarter drives, there were four of them. The fourth, they had four third quarter drives. Um, Mm -hmm. Every single one of those first plays, go and look at how many Kansas city defenders are in the box. They had 10 guys in the box on each one of those place and not all of those offensive formations that the Niners had out on the field were like heavy sets they did have some guys split out at certain times not immediately like lined in if you will so Kansas City knew the game plan was to give Christian McCaffrey the rock to start the third quarter and they just wanted to suffocate it out of his hands force Purdy to throw the ball which then the Niners switched to and that turned into the Chiefs coming back and eventually winning the game. Kyle Shanahan is one of 13 coaches to reach Super Bowl twice in their first seven seasons as a head coach. He's obviously 0-2. I don't 
as of right now. The other coaches that have gone 0-2 in those first two Super Bowl appearances in seven years never won a Super Bowl. Uh, they finished their head coaching careers with matching 0-4 records in the Super Bowls. Now Shanahan has been – he's had two different Super Bowls against the Chiefs where they've given up double-digit leads. There was also the NFC uh, – championship game against the Rams the year the Rams won the Super Bowl where they gave up a double-digit lead that's not even mentioning the 28 to 3 game where he was a coordinator there's just something there man and and it was part of the reason why I didn't pick San Francisco I just didn't feel like I could I felt like it was a home run trusting Mahomes and Reed over Shanahan and Purdy it's just like experience track record been there done that whereas Shanahan has had a history of choking and Purdy just this is his first ever appearance in the game, you know? Right. I mean, and and look, I I, I hear you with the, the Niners have been here a lot and just haven't been able to, to put the final nail in the call, coffin. And I think, I mean, I think that the part of the reason that they can't hold on to these leads is a lack of willingness to run the football. Um, you're referring to some stack boxes that Kansas City had, and, and I'd have to go back and look at the film to actually to, to see that myself and to see if that was just for show and they they were disguising that into something else. But like I said, only two runs in the third quarter. And when you you can't sustain running the football in the second half, that's how you lose double digit leads. That's why they couldn't hold on against Tom Brady in the 28 to three game as well. They didn't just run the football down at the end and they cost them themselves a chance for three. And so I would say in regards to that, you can't let the di the defense dictate what you're going to do. You need to go strength on strength and trust that your guys are going to be better. Um, I know McCaffrey, again, he ended up touching the ball a lot in this one, but overtime had a lot to do with that. I think he should have touched it even more. And He did also have that fumble in the first half. He did have that fumble, but I mean, come on, is that ever going to stop you from giving the ball to Christian McCaffrey? He's still the best no. running back in the league. You no. Know? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I hear you, but I think that there still needs to be a, a greater dedication to the run. I mean, that's a, a staple of Shanahan's offense. And and you're right. You said that you trust Reed and Mahomes more than Shanahan Purdy. You're completely justified in that take. You were right. I was wrong. But you have Brock Purdy, who's the third youngest quarterback to ever play in a Super Bowl. Like, I don't think that the weight should have been on his shoulders as much as it was throwing the ball 38, 39 times. That's my take on that. Um, the other thing I wanted to say on on Shanahan now that it's uh, it's popping into my head that I thought was not a great coaching move, uh, I honestly thought he should have gone for it at the end of regulation. When they have that final drive and they're set up with, uh, I think it was like a fourth and three or fourth and four, and Moody nails the 50-plus yard kick there. It's not that I thought Moody – it's not that I didn't have the confidence in him to make it, although he does make me hold my breath sometimes. But I thought he was pretty good in this one, and I don't think he deserves any flack for the missed extra point. We'll uh, talk about that in a little bit. But um, You're talking about the fourth and five at the Kansas City 35 with a just inside a two-minute warning. Yeah, so, so the way I look at that is this. I know that the percentage isn't extremely high that you pick up fourth and five there. But I think the percentage chance is nearly 100% that Patrick Mahomes is obviously either going to tie or just flat out win the game from there. And the only way I see the 49ers winning that game in that situation is if you go for it, convert, and you continue to run the rest of the clock down and you don't let Mahomes touch the ball at all. I think that that was a risk that they had to take there. And I think what they could have done is 
gone back to the ground game on third and five because I think that they threw incomplete and didn't pick up any yards on that play and treated that third and five like a second and five, you know? And so have two plays ready to go running-wise to pick up the first down or just have the goal to pick up two or three yards there and now you're facing a fourth and one, fourth and two, and you have more open in the playbook. Um, I, I disagree with you on going for it in that instance, but I would have considered it in that overtime drive where they had the fourth and four or whatever at the nine yard line. Like once you're inside the Kansas city 10, if you're really playing to the strategy of playing for that third possession of the overtime period, however long it lasts, then you don't want to take the risk of Mahomes scoring a touchdown. You need that. You need those extra points just to ensure the game continues after Kansas city scores so that you still have the upper hand because if now you're in the situation of praying Mahomes doesn't score a touchdown against your defense, you're already fighting a losing battle. I, I don't see too much different in those situations, to be honest with you. I mean, if anything, the situation in overtime, it's a closer kick. So it's more, it's a higher percentage that he'd actually make the kick there. I look at it as the same thing as well. I mean, yeah, you got to score to me. You have a touchdown makes it infinitely harder for Mahomes, and it's, the only way I think you beat him is by keeping him on the sideline, like I said. And in overtime, you know Mahomes has to get an opportunity. So there's no there's no keeping him on the sideline, whether you score a field goal or a touchdown or you eat more clock. Um, that's that's why I thought the decision should have been to go for it at the end of regulation. But I agree with you. He should have gone for it there. I think I would have had him go for it there as well at, uh, at overtime. So I'm just – I keep looking back at this game and thinking like, Kansas City struggled so much early in the game. They didn't even – I don't think they had scored a point until um, Drake Greenlaw Last... tore it, uh, ruptured his Achilles. Uh, well, they didn't score any the points. Field. They didn't score any points until the final drive of the first half. Yeah, but Kansas I, City. They, they were held scoreless until after Greenlaw got hurt. Like, he was playing really well, too. He was disrupting he was. some plays, making some big tackles. Um he was, but I don't think it was like immediately after he got hurt that they scored. No. Like I, I thought he went down somewhere, maybe like at the interchange of the first, second quarter, maybe even earlier. Yeah, I don't think it was entirely because of that. That's not what I was trying to get at. Um, what I was really trying to get at was I felt like with the early struggles that they had and then just kind of like keeping the game close, right? By the way, our prop bet of uh, the largest lead being under 13 and a half points at plus 114 hit. Largest lead of the game was 10 points. And credit the, to you on that Niners. one as well. Thank you very much. Knew it was going to be a close game wire to wire. Um, but yeah, I felt like ultimately what they were doing was kind of what they did throughout the regular season, which was just keeping it close. And then when the game got down to the moments that mattered the most, which was second half, right? Last few minutes of the third quarter, fourth quarter, you capitalize on the other team's mistakes. There was that fluke, crazy punt that nicked off the the heel of um oh my gosh what was his name um i don't remember the actual cornerback there or the the gunner the that it nicked off the heel of i know ray ray mccloud Darrell looter Darrell looter and jalen watson recovered the ball but you had that crazy um like inadvertent muffed punt score on the next play after the game flips and then from there it's it's just chasing Mahomes, right? You got to outduel him in the fourth quarter and then overtime, which let's be real is it's not going to happen if Brock Purdy is your quarterback. 
Yeah. And that's the last point you made. I'm really not really saying that in terms of a slander against Brock Purdy. I don't think it has to do with the fact that Brock Purdy is your quarterback, but you're not going to outdo Mahomes because Mahomes is Mahomes. And that's why, like, if Mahomes is going to get the ball in his hand at the final, in the final minutes or in overtime, he's going to win the game because he's Patrick Mahomes and he's the best quarterback in football right now. And that's, that's exactly why I'm saying go for it at the end of regulation. So you, you at least take a chance to try to prevent that. Even if it's not the super high percentage play, I think it's one that you have to risk in that situation. That's my point there. Yeah. I don't mind extending the game in that situation. Like, I, I think that's more like conserving your own life, if that makes sense in that scenario. Whereas when it's actually in overtime, like, you got to understand that there's a solid chance that the next time the Chiefs have the ball after you kick that field goal very well could be the last possession of the entire NFL season. Like, that to me was really surprising. I thought they were going to go for it. I didn't really understand why they didn't after driving that whole length of the field and getting within the 10. Like, you're right there. You could just as easily score on the fourth down attempt as you could convert. But you could also just as easily not convert and then the chiefs have to go 91 yards or, or whatever it is um <laughs> sure the long the long field is a point but i again uh, yeah i don't think it matters mahomes is mahomes there so um do you still think this niners team is greater than the 07 pats so that was going to be one of my other things on the uh the apology tour i've also never said that they're better than the 07 pats those words have never come out of my that mouth. they were I- as good no, I've never said that as well. I've said that they are the greatest team since the 07 Pats. Well, both I, teams lost in the Super Bowl, so. Correct. I've said on record before that the 07 Patriots are the greatest team in NFL history, and I stand by that wholeheartedly. I do think that this 49ers team is going to be one of the better ones all time to not win a Super Bowl. It was an elite team, and minus the quarterback, it was the better roster. But – the quarterback is a huge part of the roster, and I can't just ignore that. I mean, Kansas City is the better team because they had the better quarterback. So, no, the 49ers are not the greatest team since the 07 Patriots. I will walk that back. I think that they were an elite team, and in a, a world where Patrick Mahomes doesn't exist, I think that this team is a slam dunk Super Bowl winner, and maybe we're talking about it down the road as one of the best of all time, but we don't live in that world. They don't have Patrick Mahomes. Homes, and so they are not the greatest team since the 07 Patriots. That is apology number two. Uh, so 2025 Super Bowl odds, San Francisco 49ers are the current favorite at plus 550. Kansas City Chiefs are second at plus 650. Um, Vegas definitely still thinks this Niners team is going to be around next year. I do think, though, that there is something that needs to be said, like within the context of these two coaches, right? Andy Reid was always one step away when he was the head coach in Philadelphia. Always. He had Donovan McNabb there, pretty good quarterback, right? Not a great quarterback, but pretty good. Mm-hmm. He won't had be a some good years, though. He was yeah. on the Madden cover in 05. That was, that was like my first uh, childhood Madden game. So mm-hmm. some good years. I agree. He got them to a Super Bowl, right? Mm-hmm. But they couldn't win the big one. And I feel like Shanahan is just the right quarterback away, Okay. Um, somebody, when I, when I say that is somebody is going to reference Matt Ryan and that MVP season when Shanahan was there in Atlanta and they made it to the Super Bowl. Matt Ryan's not that guy, man. Don't try to go there. He's not that guy. Shanahan elevated him for that season. It was a fluke flash in the plan. 
blip on the radar. Still love my former Boston College Eagle, but like he needs that next tier quarterback, whoever it is. I don't think Purdy's there either because there were there were some throws that Purdy missed. He's not the guy that had the interception in this game. Mahomes was, but he's also not the guy who I think you would count on in a Super Bowl winning situation to have a game winning drive for you. Like in overtime mm-hmm. or in regulate or in regulation, he had two chances and he couldn't do it either time. Uh, he actually did do it both times. I mean, he, he led, I mean, he put the 49ers ahead twice at the end of uh, the fourth quarter and at the end of, or not the end of overtime, but in overtime, his defense is the one that didn't hold. He got I mean, the field goal, but I, I would say you need to convert and get more points there. Like only having two touchdowns in this game can we, is it possible to table the talk about Brock Purdy? Um, Cause I, I was going to bring this up uh, or we was going to talk about Brock Purdy, but I do want to finish my apology tour. And I would also say Matt Ryan is the seventh all-time leading passer. Okay. He had a, he's had a pretty good damn, damn good NFL career. It's not just a fluke. And he was MVP that year. Now, if you want to say that Shanahan elevated him to arguably his best year of all time, fine. But Matt Ryan is a pretty damn good quarterback in and of his own right. Never won a Super Bowl, but he's still, again, 62,792 passing yards. It's seventh all time. It's more to guys like Dan Marino, Aaron Rodgers, Stafford, Eli Manning. That's pretty elite company. It's his playoff record. It's uh, one, two, three, four, and four and six. Four and six. So four and six playoff record. Like, I don't know. I, Sure. Regular season stats, great. Accumulated some some yards. Awesome. That doesn't really change my perspective on him. Okay. I, I mean, I, I think he's he's certainly a quarterback that was capable of winning a Super Bowl, and I think that he had his team in position too, and it was actually Shanahan's poor play calling in that situation of why they didn't. But um, And I, I don't look at Brock Purdy as the reason why the 49ers weren't able to get this done at all. He, he wasn't phenomenal, uh, but I thought he was still very good, and – he had a very good drive in the fourth quarter to get them into field goal range. And he had a nice drive going with some really nice plays that I, I do want to table this somewhat because I want to talk about it um, a little bit more in depth when we're talking about individual plays. But I thought the guy, the guy played very, very well in, in crunch time was not like consistent throughout the game, but he made some big time throws and yeah, sure. He missed some throws and yeah, he wasn't as good as Patrick Mahomes, but like what quarterbacks are like Joe Burrow's, the only one that's proven that he has. And uh, I guess you'll say Brady as well in, in, in the Buccaneers game, but that's pretty damn elite company there. And I think Brock Purdy is absolutely capable of winning a Super Bowl. I mean, anybody who's got you in overtime against the greatest quarterback in the NFL right now in the Super Bowl, I think is capable of winning it. I don't know. I felt like I saw too many throws at the feet of Debo Samuel or just out of arm's reach or of somebody. He missed, he missed a couple to Debo though. There was one early in the game where he had him on like a crosser and in route that, that he missed, but, and there were some missed throws where I know he missed Debo Samuel when he had him Legereus Sneed beat for what would have been a touchdown, but he had Chris Jones bearing down in his face on that one that, that disrupted that. Like I, there's not a lot of quarterbacks that are going to be able to stand in there and make that throw with big number 95 you know, bearing down right at you. So I don't really, I don't really fault him too much for that. I mean, how about some of his good throws, man? Like that throw on the run to use check there to, to get the first down of that overtime drive. Like that was a great play. Um, converted to Ayuk on a big throw over the middle on third down to, to keep that drive alive. 
Uh, he made a phenomenal throw early in the game to Chris Conley as well uh, towards the sideline on a big third nine or third and 10 that ultimately yep. ended up leading towards a, a field goal. Like, again, he didn't make as many plays as Mahomes did, but I still thought he made a lot of good plays to, to help his team win in this one. And like he did have them on what could have been two game winning drives, but his defense wasn't able to hold the best quarterback in the game. I get it. Yeah. So. I, I can't believe we actually, we haven't even given any credit yet to the Kansas city defense because in reality, like I said that this was going to need a de- going to need to be a defensive game. If Kansas city was going to have, have a chance to win. They held San Francisco to less than 20 points in regulation. We had that stat last week about uh, Brock Purdy and, and the Niners being 20-0 and 0 in games in which they've scored 20 points or more in regulation. And they held San Francisco to their third-worst offensive performance of the season by yards per play and EPA per snap. Um, just an awesome, awesome defensive game from Kansas City. Steve Spagnolo mixing up pressures, mixing up looks, um, bringing pressure from all area. They had nine unblocked pressures in this game. They're most in a single game this season, according to next gen stats. And the guys that you were mentioning before, Debo, Kittle, IU combined. Those guys had eight catches, eight catches. Debo had 11 targets. He had three catches in the game. They locked everybody down. McDuffie had handcuffs on Debo the whole night. Ayuk wasn't really able to be a, a huge part of the game plan. Obviously Kittle wasn't. And, they forced San Fran into really just relying on CMC and Purdy only. And for CMC to lead them to victory or, or for Purdy to really pick them apart with his secondary guys, like Jawan Jennings, like uh, Chris Conley, like a Ray Ray McLeod, right? Um, they, they just didn't have the looks there that they, that they wanted. It seemed like the whole game. Yeah, I mean, I you made a great point. Look, we we talk about Debo in high regard on this podcast because he is, you know, from our alma mater, South Carolina. But and and Debo does a lot of talking. I'll admit that on the social media, everything like that. We we saw and we talked about it when they faced the Eagles earlier in the season this year. But I got news for him. Trent McDuffie locked him down. Oh my and, gosh! And Trent McDuffie dominated that matchup. There, I thought Purdy threw a really, really good ball on that that uh, that ball in the end zone towards the yeah. back of the end zone where it was McDuffie and Debo one on one, and McDuffie was just all over him. Not not like pass interference wise, like he just had that perfectly locked down and defended. And Debo kind of like got up and looked to the ref and like made a holding signal after that. You know what, man? If you're if you're gonna talk the talk, which which Debo does. You need to find a way to go up and win that 50-50 ball. That ball's there for you to, to make that play. Um, there was another big throw over the middle later in the game, I think in the fourth quarter, where he was right in his hip pocket as well. Saw that McDuffie played phenomenal, phenomenal football, especially when matched up against Debo in this one. And you're right, the, the top options weren't there. Uh, Kittle was one of them as well. I was praising Kittle. That was actually going to be my third apology on the list that I can't, I can't say Kittle is better than Kelsey anymore. I think Kittle is a better football player than than Travis Kelsey. I stand by that. Um, and I think he's like better when he gets the ball in his hands. But Kelsey finds a way to get the ball more often. And he makes like he makes he made more plays than George Kittle. And and like I can't I have to walk back that take as well. Um, you know, I, I still kind of think that if you put Kittle in Kelsey's shoes and you put Kittle in the Kansas City offense, we'd see the exact same, if not better, numbers, but Again, that's living in a hypothetical situation in a world that doesn't exist. So that's my third apology. 
I love how you're walking back your take, but also firmly standing pat by it at the same time. Oh, you've never <laughs> done that yourself, Patrick? <laughs> <laughs> flipping this, flipping it on me. Yeah, I I've mean, yeah, I, that, that was kind of a shallow apology, I'll admit there. But I mean, you're right. Like Kittle's completely shut down. He made the one big play on the fourth down conversion. Uh, I'll give him credit there for getting the ball extended to to pick up that first down. But yeah, two catches, four yards. Kelsey, you know, he's basically dormant in the first half and then he still finishes with like nine for 90 that's what a super bowl champ does that's what a clutch player does kittle wasn't able to come through on that kelsey was he's the better tight end kelsey had one catch for one yard at halftime in the second half and overtime he absolutely went off um eight catches for 92 yards after that uh he also had that Big. His prop too. I'm sure a lot of people were sweating out that prop. Is it what 72 and a half or something like that? Yeah, sure over a lot of 72 were, and a half yards. You had that. Sure, a lot of people were sweating that. Uh, sweating that out in the first half. Over four and a half Taylor Swift broadcast appearances hit at minus 175. Yeah, was, that was a mortal lock. I heard some people on the like radio and stuff leading up to the week. It's like, oh, like don't get suckered into this bet. Like they're only going to cut to her a couple times. Like, come on, man. Free that money. Was so man. obvious. Yeah. Free money. Um. Yeah. Kittle, I think, or not Kittle, Kelsey, I think, had one of the biggest plays of the game. That crossing route where he had like the 20 or 30 yard gain, uh, 22 yard reception set of the Chiefs game tying field goal. That was on a yep. third down, if I remember correctly. Uh, he also had the top speed of his career on that run after the catch, wow. according to Next Gen stats. So he was hauling. He was trying to get into the end zone. Dude was booking for T Swift, huh? Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah he, he played big. I mean, it wasn't only that play either. I mean, you know where, uh, you know where Mahomes is going with the ball and his fight too to uh, pick up the first down on the the final drive that ultimately ended up being a touchdown to get them set up with, with first and goal. I mean, he you gets said fight and I thought you were going to mention his sideline altercation with Andy Reid. <laughs> no, well, I'll get to that. What I was referring to was his, uh, his like yardage after contact on that little shovel pass that set the chiefs up with a first and goal right before the McCall Hardman touchdown to, to win it. But, yep. uh, cause he just kind of pushes towards for the final three, four, five yards, uh, with a bunch of defenders draped all over him. So yeah, I can't say Kittle's better than Kelsey. I still love George Kittle, but, um, I mean, the stats don't lie at the end of the day. Kittle's reception total for this game was 49 and a half yards. Paul had the over on that. Swing and a miss. Um, mm -mm. We, I, I had some bad misses too last week though too. Um, Drake to wear Niners gear on game day at plus one thirty. I don't know why I thought about that. Actually, I did have a bad beat with uh, Purdy's over on rushing yards at fifteen and a half. He had that negative yard run, which brought his total down, and that's why it missed. Well, that's a bad line that you got because I, I'll, a lot of the lines that I saw out there for his prop were 12 and a half. And cause I thought he was at 13 and then he took the kneel down to put him at 12. I think I, I teased it. At 12. I think I teased it up some. I think that's what I did. If I remember correctly for a little um, bit of juice. Yeah. It says plus plus one thirty here. So that might make sense. Kelsey anytime TD didn't hit either. He had this awesome game and yet the chiefs didn't need a touchdown out of him. Um, yeah, he came close though, and like you said, and like we've talked about, he set him up for for either field goals or or touchdowns later in the game. So even though he didn't find the end zone himself, he de facto kind of did. When that play first act first happened, I actually had this gut reaction to like, oh, that's one of the signature plays of his career. Even though he's not in the end zone, like just to set them up for the game tying field goal and eventually win the game too, like. 
the magnitude of the moment and everything, I felt like it was probably one of the biggest plays he had made. Oh, for sure. I mean, that, I mean, Bucker, I think Bucker was already within range, but it would have been somewhat dicey still no guarantee. And yeah, you're right. I mean, then at that point, you know, for sure it's going to overtime. I'm actually interested. Would you have gone for it? They might've had enough time to run one more play that Romo was kind of alluding to it on the broadcast. They had six seconds there. I would have taken one shot. I know Reed, Reed plays a little bit conservative as well. He talked about that with Shanahan. And I was thinking about it like it's like, oh, Mahomes is going to find somebody, right? You know, with with six seconds left, I feel like he could process everything and find somebody in time. But it well, is maybe risky. that's why maybe that's why they decided not to not to go for it there. Maybe they almost thought like, hey, if a play breaks down, is Pat going to have the wherewithal to just get rid of the ball, or is he going to try to make something happen, go hero mode, and end up winding the clock down too far? So when it was going on, yes, I had the mindset to take that second shot because remember they did take a shot in the play before they went to Kelsey on the fade route on the left side and they didn't have it. I, Mahomes and Fred Warner covered that beautifully. Yeah. Mahomes was trying to go back shoulder. He was trying to go for that low kind of back shoulder throw like he did to Kelsey in the Ravens game, but he just didn't have the look for it. So I, I in hindsight, like, you did everything you needed to do to win this game. I'm not going to sit here and pick apart Andy Reid's decisions because in the grand scheme of things, Kansas city did almost everything they needed to do to win this game. And they still made some pretty bad mistakes along the way too. Yeah. I I don't, I don't disagree with the call to settle for the field goal there. I thought they probably had enough time. Like I think you can run a play there in four or five seconds, but um, you might not have enough time to like go through the progressions and, and find everything. I'll say this, though. If the overtime rules hadn't changed and Mahomes wasn't guaranteed a possession, I think that they go for it. Like, if you run the risk there of losing the coin toss and, like, in in a th- in theory, the Niners go down and score a touchdown and Mahomes never gets to touch the ball, if those overtime rules still existed, I think the Chiefs try to end the game right then and there because I think they say to themselves, we have Patrick Mahomes. We have better than 50% chance that he finds a way here. Let's do that instead of risking a coin toss. But instead, knowing for sure that Mahomes is going to get the, a chance to touch the ball and score a touchdown, I think that that's probably why they played a conservative. Quick stat here for you. In 114 career starts for Patrick Mahomes, including the playoffs, only four of those games have resulted in losses by more than one score. How in the hell did you think the Chiefs were going to get blown out in this game, Paul? Why... I told you it wasn't going to happen when you predicted it. Why did you think this was going to be so? Yeah, man, this is uh, this is going to be apology number four uh, on the apology tour. So uh, you're definitely fair to call that out. Look, I was just thinking, um, you know, some similarities or maybe vague similarities to how things went in the Super Bowl against Tampa. But, you know, I thought that, again, I stand by the fact I think that the roster is better for San Francisco, except at the most important position. You had Joe Tooney out on the offensive line, somewhat reminiscent to the Chiefs missing both of their offensive tackles in the game against Tampa Bay. I've seen San Francisco blow many teams out of the water throughout the course of the season. And, you know, I guess I got caught up in some some 49er fever. I will say this, it looked like it was trending that way uh, in the first half, but 
you know, we got to a point where the Chiefs were given the 49ers chances to put the game away, uh, like at the beginning of the, the first or second half with the Mahomes interception, and they didn't capitalize. And so, yeah, you're right. I mean, once you, when you have 15 on on your side, it's uh, it's it's really, really stupid to say that he is going to get blown out. I mean, we've only really seen it that one time in that Super Bowl against Brady, and that's really not an indictment against Patrick Mahomes. I mean, that was just a complete team domination, and, and injuries had a large, large part to do with that. So, yeah, I got to walk back that take. As, as long as you have 15, that's all that really matters. And Mahomes is just so damn good, man. I don't have enough high praise for him. And I felt I felt foolish for betting against him, and felt foolish for for that take in a in a big big way. It's probably it's probably my 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 most sincere apology. The thing that I was like feel the dumbest about betting against him one thing, but then saying that they'll lose by double digits. I am not going to, even though I gave you some shit for it just then. Um, I had it. I bet against him in the divisional and conference championship round, so I can't really like b2 on my high horse about it you know um he's been incredible this playoff run um according to i think it was next gen stats again i I might be wrong on this um i might be misattributing who had the stat this is the hardest path to super bowl ever ever for any team in nfl history based on regular season dvoa of playoff opponents so you think about it they faced um the, the first, third, fourth, and fifth best regular season EPA offenses, the defense held those offenses to under 16 points per game in the playoffs. And then Mahomes is playing some of the most efficient ball of his career along the way as well. Uh, he also led the Chiefs in rushing yards in this game, nine carries for like 60-something yards. Pacheco was a damn near no-show on the ground. By the way, uh, Pacheco under 67 and a half rushing yards at even odds. Green, you want money if you had that prop like we did. Um, I'm so impressed with Pat and and like just watching the end of this game. I was saying like even when it went to overtime, I was like, no, nah, this game's already over. This game's been over since halfway through the fourth quarter when Pat got that look in his eyes, and I felt so strongly that way. Like I just didn't see a world in which the Niners were going to win this game once it got later and later and later. I felt like it was just postponing the eventual inevitability of the Chiefs and Mahomes hoisting another Lombardi trophy. Uh, again, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't have that feeling as early as you and, and some others. Um, but yeah, I mean, once the certainly once the 49ers only got a field goal in overtime and you know Mahomes is going to get the ball, it's like, you know, it's over then. And, uh, and it goes back to why I advocated for San Francisco to, to, you know, put their balls on the table and go for it at the end of the fourth quarter. Let me give you some stats. Patrick Mahomes, this playoff, she talked about how it was one of the toughest roads. Um, they faced two number one seeds. They face the number two seed in Buffalo, of course, the uh, uh, the games against Baltimore and Buffalo on the road. Mahomes dazzling in this one with a 69.8% completion percentage. These are his complete playoff numbers this year. Over 1,000 yards passing, six touchdowns, one interception, a 100.3 passer rating. I mean, those are just absolutely elite, elite numbers. And the guy, like I've said, like we talked about, last week in the the Super Bowl media week as like he elevates his play. He's so good in the regular season and that yet he still finds a way 
to elevate into another gear in the playoffs. And you're right. We didn't even talk about his rushing until you just brought it up there. Some of those scrambles were just like, I just, I, again, like he has speed too. that. And he's so crafty of when he uses his speed. You almost well. forget about it. Yeah, exactly. Like he's not a Lamar Jackson or a Josh Allen type running quarterback, but he can use it and break it out at any point in time. And he's tough with it too. Like he had a big um, third and four, third and five conversion with his legs where he put his head down. Um, that drive ended up leading towards a field goal somewhere in the second half. I can't remember the exact time, but it was uh, like a third and four, third and five. And it was along the near sideline where he scrambled and was able to pick up the yardage and they ended up getting a, uh, at least a field goal out of that drive. So so crafty, man. Uh, I mean, he's so good in every aspect of the game. That's why he's the undisputed best quarterback in football right now. Well, remember, part of the two years in which the Chiefs lost to the Buccaneers in the Super Bowl and then lost to the Bengals in the playoffs, uh, Mahomes was dealing with that foot ankle injury, I think it was, where he wasn't really able to scramble and be quite as effective on the run when plays broke down. And then remember earlier in the year, we sort of commented on how he looks healthier. He looks fresh. We're seeing, we're seeing him sort of reintroduce that aspect of his game again. And now lo and behold, it's, it turns him into the the leading rusher for his team in his third Super Bowl win and, and third MVP performance in the Super Bowl as well. And don't forget, he had some big scrambles in the game against Philadelphia last year as well in the Super Bowl to, yep. to set them up on uh, big drives there as well. So he breaks it out timely um, at great fashions. I think it was Dan Orlovsky today on first take that was saying it's like, it's almost like he saves it and, and, and hides it for late in the game when he really needs to, when those defensive backs and linebackers really kind of have to pin their ears back and, and wait and play soft coverage, which I thought San Francisco was playing way too soft in the fourth quarter and in overtime and Mahomes is able to exploit it. He's so smart. He could see everything on the field and instant reactions right away. He knows exactly what to do. Is Mahomes saving his scrambles uh, the equivalent to LeBron saving his energy by not playing defense in some possessions in the playoffs? <laughs> not at all. Not at all, dude. It's 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 like it's like saving it to me. I liken it to like saving a big. I wasn't I wasn't play. serious, by the okay, way. Okay, you got me once again. Sometimes sometimes you're able to just say that so seriously, Patrick. You got acting abilities within you but no it is not at all like lebron saving himself uh for defense or oh saving his energy um some other notable stats of this game steve spagnola now the first coach in nfl history to win four super bowls as a coordinator twice with the new york football giants against my new england patriots and twice again now with the kansas city chiefs um mahomes is trailed by 10 points in all three of his Super Bowl victories, that's pretty crazy to me. Like, I look back at, at Brady's Super Bowl wins. You had the two double-digit deficit comebacks against Seattle and Atlanta, but I don't think there were any others. Like, the, the Panthers game that the Pats won was real back and forth, but I don't think they ever trailed by that many points. Uh, I know they did not against the Rams in the first one. They had a lead, and then the Rams came back. The Eagles won. I don't think they did either. So that to me is like, I mean, how can you argue against that with Mahomes? Um, he's also, I think, eight and three as an underdog all time in the playoffs, if I'm not mistaken. 
Uh, he was an underdog for all three of these previous victories in this playoff run. Exactly, man. Yeah, the Chiefs are never an underdog. He said it at the uh, on the podium when they were hoisting Lombardi. And yeah, I, I said I thought that the 49ers, this line was pretty appropriate at minus two, minus two and a half. Nope, not at all. Not at all, man. It's uh, It's got to be Kansas City favorite all day because they have him. Well, Kansas City is now the first back-to-back Super Bowl champion to be an underdog in both games. And Mahomes said something else in this press conference, which is what really caught my eye because he wasn't like, he was really happy when they won, but he was probably one of the few players on the Chiefs who was not crying tears of joy at the end of the game. And almost immediately after, his mind shifts to the next year. In the Super Bowl, he's just saying, or in the press conference after the game, he's saying, I'm going to do whatever I can to get back to this game next year. This dude's thinking 3 P. Like, that's the the next level mindset where he's trying to think of different ways to eclipse Brady. Brady never had a 3 P. If Mahomes can do that, that's pretty special. Yep, and that leads into apology number five that I said that the 49ers would be hungrier than Kansas City going into this game. And look, I, Kansas City, or excuse me, San Francisco, I definitely, like, they were hungry for this. You know, I mean, they they didn't play their best game by any means, but it wasn't for lack of effort or energy. I mean, all you had to do was see Drake Greenlaw on, on some of those early tackles and how fired up he was for this game. But you were right. Patrick Mahomes has his eyes set on building the ultimate dynasty. One, to tear down your New England Patriots for greatest of all time, and I know deep down in his heart, he wants to be the, the greatest quarterback of all time. He won't come out and say it. And I think I've even said, well, he might say that he wants to be the greatest I think quarterback he's of all time. sort of said it without saying it. You know, like but, every time he gets asked a question, he tips his hat to Tom and just says right. he's trying to do his best and build his resume, essentially, which is the right thing to do, considering the numbers TB12 has. Exactly. And I think I even saw a quote where he said, it's going to be tough for me to be the best because Brady beat me yeah. head to head in the Super Bowl. Like he acknowledges it. He knows what the conversation is going to be. You have to think about it this way. Like if MJ ever beat LeBron head to head in the finals, nobody would even consider the thought that LeBron is greater than Michael Jordan. It, nobody would have the conversation. If they did, it would stop and end just as quickly because of that uh, hypothetical fact. Whereas I don't think it's quite as black and white with football, but it's going to take a lot for Mahomes to surpass him. And he knows that. But my point that I'm trying to make here is that he, he, he wants to, he really yeah. wants to do that. And just yeah. because he's not like outwardly saying like, I want to be better than Tom or, you know, he's not saying I'm trying to win eight to, to get better than Brady. I, I don't think I've ever heard him say those words directly. He wants to. And he, he wants the Chiefs to be established as the greatest all-time franchise as well. And they will stay as hungry as him uh, as long as he's playing. You know, Burrow's been quoted to say that Cincinnati's window is open as long as he's there. Well, it's the exact same damn thing for, for Patrick Mahomes. And this Chiefs team will be as hungry as anybody as long as Mahomes is hungry for greatness. So I got to walk back that take. And uh, those are my five apologies. We've gotten through them all. It's... Uh, it's been difficult for me on the show, but I think I've apologized for, for everything that I need to Paul's five apologies in the fifth and long spirit. 
Let's go over some of our other prop bets that either hit or did not hit in this game. Uh, Kyle Husecheck over four and a half reception yards only hit on like the second play of the game. <laughs> yeah. I was so happy, like right away getting Husecheck into the game when I saw that. Uh, Harrison Bucker over two and a half field goals at minus 105 odds. That hits as well. Uh, however, we missed on Rasheed Rice and Debo Samuel anytime touchdowns. I may have mentioned that earlier. Um, I'm mentioning it again now if we if we did. But on the flip side, Christian McCaffrey anytime touchdown and Christian McCaffrey first touchdown scorer both hit. Credit to you, Paul, for those. Well, I appreciate that. Patrick, I think I certainly had more losers than winners on uh, on my card for this past game. But um, yeah, I said safe play Christian McCaffrey plus 400. So um, hopefully you guys heeded that advice. And yeah, he find the end zone pretty much every time. You had some you had some misses. Yes, but you had some hits too. Niners first half uh, minus one and a half spread was a hit for you Jawan jennings over 14 and a half yards he was possibly the mvp of this game for quite a while uh mvs over 18 and a half yards we also had mvs anytime touchdown at plus 600 hit and uh christian mccaffrey over 18 and a half rushing attempts as well as his over and catches in yards at four and a half receptions and 33 and a half yards um so you had Game me, scripts on for McCaffrey. You just didn't have the yardage total right. He he didn't have the efficiency yeah. numbers that that the Niners needed from him. Yeah, agreed wholeheartedly. I mean, if you would have told me that this game would have started out with uh, a ten point lead for San Fran, um, and they would have had the lead for the majority of the game and had as much time of possession as they did, and that McCaffrey half, got thirty touches. Yeah, I would have been like, oh man, I think all my predictions are gonna gonna hit spot on, but not to be. Um, that Valdez Scantling prop was an interesting one because did you see it, it like hit? And then he remember he the four he de- like basically declined the forward progress when he got uh, yeah backwards and then yeah, he tried yeah, to yeah, like, yeah, yeah. get behind the line and still make more yards out of it. So I said in live time when he caught the ball, I was I had a bunch of people over as well. I go, all right, there's a prop right there. And then he gets tackled backwards. Did he keep trying to run it? I go, all right, well, never mind. And then fortunately, Mahomes goes right back to him on the next play and he gets back over the yardage. I think he only finished with like 20 yards or something in this game, but it was good enough to go over 18 and a half. He has hit on his prop like the past three weeks. So uh, he's it's always like that small yardage, but he's been able to come up clutch. And then, yeah, man, I love Jawan Jennings. I said that we were going to talk about him. Uh, at, at I kind of teased it at the beginning of the podcast episode. He was so clutch, and he would have been the MVP had the 49ers hold, held on to win. He has the, the throw, which the throw to McCaffrey, that timing had to be, like, right perfect because – Tennessee ran that exact same play with him in a game against Florida once upon a time, by the way, like carbon copy, exact same play, exact same result, 20, 30 yard touchdown. You'll have to give me the year and, uh, and date for that. So I can go look it up, but he, he does a great job of waiting for the blocks to develop in front of McCaffrey. Like he can't just chuck it right away as soon as Purdy throws it to him behind the line. So nice patience there and a good throw too, going across the field. That is not an easy throw. That's at least like 35 yards. The field width is 53. Now he's obviously not at the very 
edge of of the field and McCaffrey's not at the exact opposite edge either but he's I guarantee he's throwing that ball like 30 35 yards in the air that's a good throw and uh and then McCaffrey was just so fast after that so big play there and yeah like you said Debo didn't have a great game Ayuk was held like relatively in check as well and obviously Kittle didn't do anything Jennings had to step up to basically be the top pass catching option for Brock Purdy and he did that in a phenomenal way here he played a great game that is definitely going to be forgotten in the uh in the record books but nonetheless I I won't forget it at least for the time being here's that uh you can see my screen right I can yep this is Jawan Jennings to Josh Dobbs right here check it out oh yeah here we go opposite side 57 yards it looks like exact same play draw up Josh Dobbs takes it to the house the pass or not on the receiving Man. end from Jawan Jennings. Dobbs had some speed on that one. Another good throw there too. I mean, this is this is well done. And oh, nice little decoy there. I don't know if people who are following on YouTube can see it. He like fakes down the field on on his left side, and then he goes back to Dobbs. Nice little head fake there. It's a high school quarterback, as we mentioned. But yeah, that's like the exact same play job. Like you, you just know that. What I am concerned about is like. This is all great, but did Shanahan really have to spend the extra time going through Jawan Jennings' highlight reel at Tennessee when he could have been spending it going over ways to get George Kittle more than two catches for four yards or or what have you? Like Jennings had an awesome game and he was awesome to watch in this game. And I and I think like San Francisco would have needed great performances from their secondary and even third tier guys to win. But they needed their bigger guys to step up more, and they just didn't have that. Like everybody going into this game had all the the, the narrative going into it was that the offensive firepower of the Niners was going to be too much for Mahomes and the Chief to overcome. And in reality, like outside of McCaffrey's great game, in which he had the lowest yards per carry of his uh, his tenure in San Francisco when Trent Williams is healthy. Yes, that's a long drawn out stat. It was the Chiefs who were the more potent offense by a good bit, actually, it felt like. Yeah, well, I mean, certainly in the sense that they got their their best playmaker outside of Mahomes, obviously, they got Travis Kelsey the ball way more. And look, I, I don't think it's like the way you phrase it, I don't think it's like Kyle Shanahan went and looked for ways to get Jennings the ball more than Kittle. I, I'm sure that he would have wanted to get Kittle the ball more, but the Chiefs defense did a better job of defending the weapons. You're right. I mean, Sneed and McDuffie were were pretty locked down on, on Ayuk and, and Debo. I already talked about how McDuffie dominated the matchup with Debo in that one. So, yeah, I don't think it's as simple as saying, oh, we wanted to get the ball to Jennings more than Kittle. I just think that that was the, that was the option that, that Kansas City left open for San Francisco. And, and that's credit to Steve Spagnola right there who outcoached Kyle Shanahan in this one, you know, I mean, they draw up a game plan perfectly where it's like, okay, if you want Juwan Jennings to beat us, then go ahead. And Juwan Jennings almost did, but he wasn't able to. And it's because the other guys were bracketed. I'd have to go back and look at the film and, and see exactly like some of the routes that Kittle ran. Like, I know that there was one that he was pretty well covered on a, a deep ball down the sidelines that Purdy like slightly overthrew, but I can't, I can't recall they were kind of using him like I said they would. They were having him chip a lot in pass blocking yeah. and trying to trying to use him as a way to 
at least hold off the Kansas City blitz a little bit at times when they were sending pressure, which was which was pretty often. Like Kansas City was mixing up looks so well. They even at one point used um used the same defensive front that the Patriots used against the Rams in that Super Bowl, where they had six down linemen on the line of scrimmage and they had one like roving linebacker in the in the second level of the defense. And everybody else was back in coverage, like almost in like a cover four, like shell look sort of. And it just looked like Purdy was seeing things he had never seen before. I, I mean, it wasn't until that uh, drive in which they scored the field goal um, to go up 19-16 at the end of the game where the, when they had their first snap in the Kansas City red zone. It wasn't until then. The only two times they reached the red zone the whole night was the field goal towards the end of regulation and the field goal in overtime. That was it. Yeah. I think technically they might've been in the red zone when McCaffrey fumbled, but like the snap didn't start in the, in the red zone. So I know it, I, I could be wrong on that, but I, it, it was the drive before it was when they got the, the touchdown drive to go up 16, 13. Okay, that was when they go. had their first snaps in the red zone, but gotcha. still that's like, um, that's like in the fourth quarter. <laughs> it's not until the fourth quarter of play. Yeah, yeah, they hit a couple explosive plays, but yeah, they they couldn't finish drives at the end. And you're right, there were a couple timely blitzes that that Purdy wasn't able to either to check out of, or he just didn't have the options. And 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 look, I I, I don't really want to crucify Purdy at all because I thought that he did about as well as he possibly could have. But you know, it, sometimes you have to recognize that pre-snap as a quarterback, and you need to find ways, and you need to know where the top pass rushing options are for the defense. And Chris Jones like I said, was able to disrupt multiple plays. I mean, he disrupted the play early in the game where Debo had Legereus Sneed beat for a touchdown, and he disrupts the play in that overtime where I, I think that Jennings was at least open for like a first down and maybe a touchdown there. And and you have to find a way to either check your, your protection or check out of it into a different play. And so while I don't fault Purdy for just not making the throws in those situations – he needs to start at the very least recognizing that pre-snap and finding a way to mitigate that. Cause guys like Mahomes, Peyton Manning did it, Brady, like they're all, they're able to see that that's part of the game there as well. So small ding for Purdy there on what I thought was by and large, like I would grade him as a B for this game, like a flat B. And I think, I think that's it's, fair. It's, it seems like you had him. I thought you might have him a little bit lower based on some of your earlier comments, but like I did think he still made some timely throws and he led the Niners down on field goal drives. But you were right earlier, like you don't beat Mahomes with field goals. So, I, and considering the circumstance, I think it was above average game, but not by like a ton. So I, I give him a flat B. Yeah. What I would say is that um, I think a B is a fair grade because. I mean, you look at it, he had almost 40 attempts. Like <laughs> he was he was hit 11 times in the game. He was under pressure the whole night. Kansas City was in his face a lot, specifically Chris Jones, George Karloftis. They were making things really, really difficult for him. He was not getting good protection on the night. And the reason why, so I did have some um, harsh, I guess, sort of comments towards him earlier in the episode, but my true stance on him and his performance in this game is that he was okay. He was pretty good. He didn't hurt them by any means for the most part. There were some throws that he missed, but none to the extent where they were like make or miss throws that dictated the win or loss directly. 
You know what I'm saying? He didn't have like a pick six or a big costly turnover that really cost him the game. He didn't have any huge misses that necessarily cost him the game either. But to me, it's like in the little details, like Mahomes elevates the play of everybody. He's a game breaker. He is the difference maker in the game, which I think that's the kind of guy you need to have to beat Mahomes, which is what we've seen with Brady and what we've seen with, with Burrow and even guys that have come close to like Allen even. And I just don't think Purdy is anywhere near that conversation. He's still a pretty good quarterback. Like I would take him over probably half the guys in the league next year, probably even more than that. Like I would probably put him in the top 10 to start the season next year, but I just don't think he's a guy that like when you're in the biggest game of the, of the season against a top tier team, a top tier defense is going to make the plays that you need to win a Super Bowl, And that's the clear cut difference to me. That's the difference between a B or even a B plus in this game and an A. And that's why I'm not speaking about him as favorably because I do think that in order for the Niners, or I do think that if the Niners were to win this game, they needed him to step up and make more of those plays and and try to just be a little bit more ballsy at times, more efficient, whatever it was. Like, you never know. Some of those missed throws could turn into big plays where, where Debo turns a catch into a 20, 30-yard game because he's the yak monster that he is. I, I just... Like, I don't think he was good enough. I don't think he was bad. I just don't think he was good enough. And to me, that is just as damning against Patrick Mahomes. Well, he clearly wasn't good enough because they didn't win the game. But let me ask you these two questions. Yeah. Do you give him any sort of, I use the word pass for lack of a better term, but do you, <laughs> can you at least acknowledge the fact that he was the third youngest quarterback to ever play in a Super Bowl going yeah, into this. And I think then, that goes into it. I think his youth and inexperience is like part of it. I think it's just the nature of the situation. He's super, super young. And maybe if San Francisco gets back to this game next year, or a couple of years from now, he plays better and, and he's seen it before. So, um, and, and that was going to be what I was going to ask. It's like, can you, you say that he, he's like not good enough to win a Super Bowl right now. He's not elevating the guys enough to win the Super Bowl, but do you think that like he can get to there with just a, another year or two? Like, cause, cause I think he can, I mean, this is only, again, his second year. This was only his first full year as a starter. Think about that too. He wasn't getting the first team reps in camp last year. This was his first year with a full spring, um, not spring training, a first full training camp, first full preseason and reps and everything like that. Like, I think he can still build to that point. And I'm not going to be damning of him because he just was a couple plays worse than Patrick Mahomes. Maybe, maybe more than just a couple because Mahomes had over a hundred more passing yards than him or like 80 more passing yards and had the rushing, but like, it's difficult to just measure him against Patrick Mahomes, you know? So what I will say is that, um, Yeah, I'll say it. I don't think Purdy is, is capable of winning a Super Bowl. I don't think he's a Super Bowl winning quarterback. I don't think he ever will be. Wow. And wow. I don't think Shanahan will be able to win a Super Bowl with him. I think the only chance San Francisco has is of upgrading from him. Yes, we've seen Shanahan be able to turn average so-so quarterbacks into these great guys and elevate their play and get the most out of them. And I think this is just another example of that. I think Purdy is probably the best of the quarterbacks that he's worked with. Um, 
I don't, I don't think you can really include Matt Ryan in that. So I'm not going to go to the Falcons days, just in San Francisco, right. Is what I'm referring to. Um, but no, I, I don't think he's the guy that you can rely on to do that. Like, like if you look at their comeback wins against Detroit and against green Bay, they were behind in those games, partly because of his play. And then he turned it around in the second half. They came back. We saw all the stats in those games about how they were the first and second games in Shanahan's career in which they came back and inserted the situations uh, trailing by however many points or what have you. Um, like, I just, I question whether or not, like, look, man, you just look at the teams that have won the Super Bowls in previous years, okay? Um, most of there's the Mahomes teams, there's the Brady teams, there's the Manning teams, there's the Roethlisberger teams, there's uh, the other Manning teams, right? There's uh, Flacco even to a certain extent. Like all those guys were able to make big plays when their team really, really, really needed it. We had the mile high miracle with Flacco. That's an example for him since he's probably the first guy others would point out as to what, what is Patrick talking about? Um, I just like, I think there's a ceiling with him. And I think it's probably with this supporting cast, it's getting to this game. I don't think it is winning the Super Bowl. I think they need another guy. Purdy could prove me wrong. I just think he is like, he's more an extension of the system and a product of it than the guy who can like elevate past that and bring the system to this next level Patrick Mahomes beating system, which right now it's not. Well, I, I just got to say, those are pretty bold words for a guy who had a three point lead in overtime against Patrick Mahomes. But let me ask you this one question. Do you think Joe Burrow is capable of winning a Super Bowl? Yeah, he got to a Super Bowl. And because this. So, so what's, what's what what what's so much different about Joe Burrow than 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 Brock Purdy? Joe Burrow has very good talent around him as well. Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, arguably maybe the best receiver duo in football, or at least it was that year. And he was just a couple of plays away from beating Matt Stafford and the Los Angeles Rams. He has been to one Super Bowl just like Brock Purdy and did it in his second year, first full year as well. What is so much different about Joe Burrow where you are convinced that Joe Burrow is capable of winning a Super Bowl, but you are not with Brock Purdy? I think you're referencing the wrong side of that game. I think you have to look at the other team, this the Los Angeles Rams with Matt Stafford and what Stafford was able to do that season and in that game to elevate his play for his team to be in that game and eventually win the Super Bowl, right? He and Cooper Cup and, had a record setting season. And, and that's different than Patrick Mahomes and elevating the Kansas City Chiefs. You're no, gonna, you're gonna you're gonna say because no, what I'm Matt saying Stafford is, elevated the Rams. No, I'm not trying to compare Stafford to Mahomes. I'm trying to say that like. And this isn't even me comparing Burrow to, to Purdy. Like, I get what you're going with this. Like, you could say the same thing for per for Burrow that you just said for Purdy. But I think to a certain extent, that's unfair because we already had a track record for success with Burrow in, in college. Like, we saw the potential of what he could be there and how great that LSU team was. Yes, he had a lot of talent around him, but that's kind of the nature of college let me, football. Let me, I, let me interrupt you real quick right there. There's a lot of guys that have had track records of success in college that have not materialized in the NFL. You can't yeah, cite yeah. college. You can't cite college successes 
as let a reason me, for why you're going to do good in the NFL. Let me back up, why, though. Why one NFL guy is better than the other. Yeah, let me back up, though. What, what I was really trying to say was that, like, I think if you're going to look at that game between the Rams and between the Bengals, you more have to look at Matthew Stafford and his ability to make plays late in the game that elevated the Rams over the Bengals and led them to win the Super Bowl, which are the and same what, plays Patrick that Mahomes didn't do that at all in this game. Come no, on. I'm saying that's the same plays that Purdy was lacking. Like that's the difference. Like nobody in a conversation listing the most talented quarterbacks in the league right now is going to list Stafford over, over Burrow. People are going to go to Burrow first. That's going to be the gut reaction. If more people listed Stafford per first, I would be surprised. I don't think it's like an impossible argument because he has the Super Bowl, but I think that Purdy's lack of like I don't think he's in the same tier as Stafford even in, in that like game-breaking ability. And I think that is what San Francisco ultimately is missing on their team right now. Like quarterback is their weakest position on their offense and that is not something you can afford to have. I'm just not really following your logic here personally. You just said that no one is going to rank Stafford above Burrow. So wouldn't that be a greater indictment on Burrow for not winning that Super Bowl? Yes. I don't, I don't, I don't really get this logic here. No, we're and, saying and, the and same thing in different saying, ways. Well, no, we're not saying the same thing here at all. You're you're saying that Burrow deserves a pass because he had an what no. like you're telling me that it's an easier it was an easier test compared to Mahomes but no, for some no, reason no. you're saying because Purdy's path or his his challenge in the Super Bowl was greater than Burrow's like that somehow means that Purdy can't get to the level that he needs to be no i am trying to liken Purdy more to Stafford in this situation like yes Burrow is Stafford the more talented quarterback who's won a Super Bowl before yes but in this game, because he elevated his play to be better than the other guy who most would say is more talented than him. That's what I'm trying to reference. I'm not saying that Burrow gets a pass for this. I I don't even know where you're going with that. I didn't say that at all. It's not what I intended to say either. I, I Burrow and Mahomes, even though Burrow beat him the one time, they're in totally different ballparks to me. To me, uh, what I was trying to say was that San Francisco's biggest weakness in their team offensively was that they didn't have someone who could make the same. Obviously nobody can match up with Mahomes, right? That's like already a futile argument, but Purdy wasn't even able to like stand in the same room as him. Like we've seen Allen trade shots with him. We've seen Hertz trade shots with him. We've seen Burrow trade shots with him. We've seen Brady trade shots with him, so on and so on and so on. I don't think Purdy is able to do that. Whereas like, Maybe a Matt Stafford would have. And I'm not trying to go into hypotheticals again. I just, my point in this argument was that Purdy is not the game breaker guy that is going to make the make it or break it plays in a Super Bowl for you to win, not just against the Chiefs, but I think against most of the teams you would have to face in this scenario. Oh, I, I just completely disagree with that wholeheartedly, considering this was the first time he's ever lost a postseason game that he started and finished. Um, I'll, I'll say this about your point. I, it is a little bit clear now what you were trying to say about Stafford, um, that he was a guy that who was, I guess, lesser of talent that that found a way to elevate to to beat a quarterback of greater talent. And in this case, Purdy did not do that, although it was against the, the best quarterback in the game. Um, you, you're never going to know that until it happens. OK, and and Brock Purdy's still very, very young. And um, 
I, I think that you're discounting his ability to get better and, and to learn uh, from this game and, and get back to this game at some point, uh, which I think he's very capable of doing. Um, I think that he didn't go punch for punch with Mahomes, but he absolutely stood in the room with him. I mean, I, you know, he was a heck of a lot better against Patrick Mahomes than Lamar Jackson was. I'll say that maybe not better than Josh Allen was in this playoffs, but better than, better than Lamar and Lamar is the MVP of this season. So um, I'm giving Brock pretty credit. I think he's only going to get better. And I think he can get back here. It's no guarantee that he will, because people said Dan Marino was going to get back and he never did. And Joe Burrow hasn't been back to the Super Bowl since that point either. So it's, it's never a guarantee, but well, it's also he's absolutely capable. Joe Burrow hasn't been back to the Super Bowl. Yeah. But he's only had one healthy season since then. That's not, I guess that's, that's, thing. that's a fair retort. That's a fair <laughs> retort. And like, if it you look fair. at who Purdy has beaten, his opponents in the playoffs the last couple of years, it's Jordan Love making his uh, second playoff appearance. It's uh, the Lions and Jared Goff. Like, who knows what the conversation about the Detroit Lions is going to be three, four years from now. But Patrick, uh, you can admit the Detroit Lions were a great football team this year. We're very good, at least. And Jared yeah. Goff has been to the Super Bowl before. Like, that's not that's not something to just, like, not acknowledge. That was a very good football team that he beat. Yeah, but like beating Geno Smith and Jordan Love and Jared Goff to me just isn't nearly the same as beating like having to go through Tua and Burrow and Josh Allen and Lamar year after year after year after I, year. I would like, say Jordan Love is 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 bit much better than than Tua is. I would say that um who am I blanking on? Um I'd say Jared Goff is better than Tua. Okay, I sure we can go into that if you want. My point was more so that I feel like San Fran's road to the Super Bowl is a lot easier than Kansas City's was this past year. I mean, I mean, we talked about it earlier. This was the hardest. Well, sure. I'm not trying to argue that Brock Purdy is better than Patrick Mahomes. No, no, not at all. That's not where I was going with that either. I, I just feel like, like Shanahan made it to this game with freaking Jimmy G as his quarterback. Man, that's more my point. Like. I think he can make it there with a lot of people. I don't think he can win with a lot. And like maybe Purdy continues to grow and maybe the Niners do get back to this game with him and eventually win. I, I would just be surprised if it happened. Um, yeah. I, I just think that's, this is, this is very harsh for a guy that has played two NFL seasons and has gotten to the Super Bowl in his second NFL year. I know it's the third youngest guy to ever play in a Super Bowl, and you're saying that he's not capable of winning it. That's that's that's. I I just don't see it the same way. I know it's harsh, but it's a harsh league, man. Like that's just how it how it rolls. the 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 track record of the youngest quarterbacks to start Super Bowls were that the ten youngest had losing records. And there was a few exceptions in there with Brady and Roethlisberger and a couple others. But for the most part, like it didn't really point to. Yeah, you can attribute it to that if you want. But at the same time, we've seen the greats shine in, in, in the face of that pressure as as a young quarterback at the same time. So I I, I don't like I said, I think a B grade in this game is deserving for Purdy. He had some moments where he was good. But he was never like great, per se. He never like wowed me, and that to me is more so the difference. Like it's it's hard to do that anytime you're facing Mahomes. And I'm not trying to compare the two. It's not. I am comparing the two, but that's not like 100 what I'm trying to do. What I'm trying to more so say is that I think San Francisco only takes the next step if they 
find that next quarterback, however they do it. I don't know who it is. I don't know how they so, how they get him. So you'd, Maybe be, you'd be looking for a free agent or something like that this year. Is that right? Or I'd be like working my ass off to find a way to help Brock Purdy evolve into the next best version of him. Whatever that may look like. Maybe he's well, just not playing well, yeah, the best. Of course they're version. doing that. Yeah, but you, like so – do, do you think – and so you think that's not attainable just because he's not the best version of himself in his second year in the NFL? No. I, I just – I don't, I don't, I think like we've already seen his ceiling is what I'm saying. Like I, I, in terms of like where he can get you in a season, maybe not in terms of output performance, but in terms of what your ceiling in is as a team with him at the helm, I feel like we just saw it in this game. Like, why do you think it's fair to say that about him and his second year and not some other guys? Like, why are you not saying that about like Burrow? Because or... Burrow, it just Burrow just spent the whole season on uh basically hurt, and their season probably looks entirely different with him there, and and maybe the playoffs look different too if Cincinnati is in the mix. Like, nobody's arguing Joe Burrow's ability coming back and and whether or not he's going to make the Bengals better. I'm not necessarily giving him a pass either. Like. I think he didn't play his best in that Super Bowl against the Rams too. Like he could have been a lot better and they probably could have won that game if he did a few things differently. And yeah, maybe an experience played a role in that as well. And, and he could come back and lead the Bengals to another Super Bowl berth and maybe a victory down the road also. Like it's fair to have that same conversation about him. It's fair to have the same conversation about even a Jalen Hurts okay, or, so I'm or right. a Jared Goff. But I think that of those four guys, Jalen Hurts, Jared Goff, uh, Brock Jalen Hurts is Joe another Burrow. great example here. Another great example. Yeah, we could throw them all into the same conversation. I'd say Purdy is the worst of those four guys, and I think he has the lowest ceiling of the four those four guys. Like, it's just bringing me right back to my first point. Like, I, I don't think he's. I think he's maybe, maybe just on the edge of the top 20, ten quarterbacks in the league. He had an efficient season this year, yeah, but I think that's more because the offense promotes efficiency in quarterbacks. I think I'd agree that he's on the edge of the top 10. He's somewhere in there. Um, I think just where we disagree uh, is that I think that somebody who's on the fringe of the top 10 in quarterbacks is, I think that that can be good enough to win a Super Bowl. Um, And I also don't discount the possibility that fringe top 10 now could evolve into something more or better in the years to come. Well, who are our last six Super Bowl winners quarterbacks? It's like Brady... Mahomes pretty much Brady, Stafford. Mahomes, Stafford. And that's I wouldn't it. say I would say Stafford's in the fringe of the top ten as well. Yeah, I would say so too. But that year they had that record breaking breaking season with Cup. So he was a little bit higher just in the lens of that particular season. So I well, would sure and and Purdy can get there, is what I'm saying. Like you don't know that's gonna happen until it happens. Yeah. Like okay, so so <laughs> Saying, he wasn't too far off this year. He was an MVP finalist. <laughs> yeah, I, an I MP, he's an MVP finalist. I don't know who was in the Super been. Bowl in his second year. Well, you and I were both advocating for him to be an MVP finalist midway through the year when he was. Was he an offensive player of the year finalist too? I don't think. Don't he, think so. Yeah, that's that's the real offensive award. Come on, like, no, it's not it's the MVP. <laughs> oh man. I don't know, bro. I, I we just went on a tangent about Brock Purdy yeah, we for did. like 20 minutes. Um, 
I mean, to be fair, it's one of the big talk, talking points of the Super Bowl. It like, is. But when when you get when you get around Mahomes now, you, it's like because that's the thing. I think it's been unfair that that Purdy's had this stigma around them that you know people don't want to give him credit, and I think it just has to do with where he was drafted. Well, it kind of looks like they were right, but like getting into it now in this game because McCaffrey ended up being the workhorse for the team, and they didn't have enough. McCaffrey was was great. He had 160 total yards between the grounds and the air eight receptions um like obviously he didn't necessarily have like his biggest game on a stat sheet but he had a good game and i don't think purdy necessarily had a bad game either i just don't think he had a good enough game and you could probably say that for another dozen guys on the niners too so i'm not trying to say it's like his fault that they lost which it may have sounded like at certain times and that whole tangent between us but i really do think that is like in the grand scheme of their offense i do think it is a weakness like i i don't i think love was probably the better quarterback between the game between the packers and the niners and i golf looked like the better quarterback for about two and a half quarters (laughs) and then the niners choked and and it all came crashing down snowball affected and, and turned into a niners win um in terms of the Niners, though, like we've we've spent this whole time talking about their ceiling, and I feel like this leads us perfectly into our Super Bowl hot seat segment because there's no doubt Shanahan's going to be back there. They're not going to change course with him at the helm, considering how dominant they've been in the NFC the last four or five years. Um, but certainly at this point, like if you keep falling short of the game at the end, somebody's going to start asking questions eventually. Would you say that? Cause we even, when I talked with uh, Wayne breezy, he told me this was a must win game for Shanahan. He said he has to win this game or else the conversations about him are just going to keep getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And he was right. He was totally right. So I feel like, he's not on the actual hot seat in terms of he's at risk of losing his job, probably not even close, but the pressure on him to deliver in San Francisco after this game is at an all time high. They've, they're going to have a 30 year Super Bowl drought if they don't come up with a win next season. And they've been to the NFC championship game seven times in the past 13 years as well. Like they're basically going to the NFC championship game every other year. They're so like they're, the they're, NFC's bills. They're, they're there right there every time. I mean, yeah, in, in in our generation, I guess you can compare them to the Bills, but I mean, they do have the Super Bowl wins back in the day. Uh, yeah, I mean, Shanahan and the 49ers should be the top team on this Super Bowl hot seat list. And for Shanahan as well, I think it's because he was the main reason that the Niners lost. I thought his coaching was just nowhere near where it needed to be in this game compared to Andy Reid and Steve Spagnuolo. So yeah, that the Niners with how good their talent is too, and they should be able to retain most of their guys as well, or a lot of them. Um, they're number one on the Super Bowl hot seat. I think the pressure is no bigger for any other team to win the Super Bowl next year than them. Scale of one to 10, then are you putting them out of 10? Uh, what do you mean, like a 10 and like panic factor or like what is 10 yeah, represent? Yeah, like 10 is the hottest. 10 is like nuclear level, like the last wing you eat on hot wings level hot. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess that that pretty much has to be 10. And I, I, I don't, like Shanahan should not be fired. His job should not be in question. He is still a very good NFL coach. I thought he coached a very bad game in this one. Uh, but 
I mean, he still has had a lot of postseason success over the past couple of years. And, you know, you talked about Jimmy G, the ability to get to the Super Bowl with Jimmy G is still so impressive in and of its own right as well. So, uh, but yeah, uh, I guess I'll put him at a 10 because this team is so talented. And I said it was one of the better teams to not win a Super Bowl. So, yeah, you have to deliver in that regard. See, I disagree with you. I feel like the hot seat for the Cowboys and the Bills are both higher than it is for the Niners. And I think it's because the Niners have this like mystique around Shanahan and, and the con the conversations around him is that he is the guy that he is. Whereas the Cowboys, you just had this horribly disappointing loss and going into the season, like for all intents and purposes, Mike McCarthy is coaching for his job this year. I, I would certainly say the Niners, I think I would probably put it like an eight or an eight and a half. Whereas the Cowboys, I would probably put at the 10 and then the bills with Josh Allen and Sean McDermott, I would say is at like a nine. Difference with the Cowboys, though, is they haven't even been to an NFC championship game in like 20 plus years. Yeah, I think um, that makes it worse. I think that makes the hot seat hotter. I have a difference of opinion there. I think that the the complete talent level, the roster is better in San Francisco. And the fact that you're there every year and not able to win the big game and in multiple cases now choke in the big game um, puts the, the hotness meter up higher for San Fran. Uh, I'd also say that Buffalo is should be higher than Dallas as well. They would be my like number two team for Super Bowl hot seat because uh, I think Josh Allen, though I'd like Dak Prescott a lot, I think Josh Allen is a better quarterback than Dak. And, uh, you know, that's the biggest driving force in the NFL today is how good is your quarterback. And Josh Allen is super talented, but I don't know if he's ever going to play in a Super Bowl because of the what he's got to deal with in the AFC and, and what keeps happening there. Yeah, it kind of seems like he is, for whatever reason, it seems like he's fading back even more in this uh, threat to Mahomes list because Lamar has the second MVP now. We also have Burrow coming back. He almost seems like the afterthought in the AFC, which I actually think is is really dangerous for the AFC next year if Josh Allen just has a full offseason and, and the Bills find a way to curb some of his turnover issues that we saw from this year if we see a revamped josh allen and buffalo bills next year that's the team i'd be really nervous for in the afc yeah we'll see i i don't um i don't know it's for me it kind of feels like the same old story every year with the bills but maybe they'll break through in, in one of these years um i think that he's josh allen should be the second biggest threat in the afc to to Mahomes, um, obviously Burrow being one. I put Josh Allen as a greater threat than Lamar Jackson, but um, I put Josh Allen at two. And I would say with one caveat, let's see if how big of a jump CJ Stroud takes this upcoming year. What about the Ravens, though? Where, where there, what would you give them on a scale of one to ten for the hot seat? I put them right after. Um, you know what? I actually might even make an argument to put them above the Cowboys. I put them at like the six, seven range where, so I probably have Bills at eight, nine, Niners at 10. And then I got the Ravens in there as well, like as the as six, seven. Um, Lamar's really good. And they have, I don't know, they haven't been there quite as consistently as, as Buffalo and San Francisco in the past few years, though Baltimore has made it to the playoffs. Uh, the previous two years, Tyler Huntley was the quarterback two years ago because Lamar Jackson was hurt. So they kind of get a pass in that regard. 
Like there haven't been as many shortcomings in the playoffs just because they haven't had as many opportunities. And I think like the more that you're consistently there in the playoffs, whether it be divisional round, championship round, or in the Niners case, making it to the Super Bowl, for me, that elevates the hot seat. So yeah, Sam or uh, Baltimore's hot seat is up there, but I just can't quite put it above the uh, like the Bills and the Niners, but I might put him above Dallas. You don't think that their hot seat is maybe even higher or even hotter though, because of Lamar having his second MVP now and, and just really the couple of playoff wins to show for it. I mean, I would say that they're right there with the Niners. Like I think the Cowboys and Bills seats are hotter than the Niners, but I think the Ravens are right there neck and neck. We, it seems like we both kind of have the same like four teams in this ballpark, I guess, but no, I think that they are, feeling the pressure a lot more than maybe you think because they just gave Lamar this big extension as well. Like, I mean, it, right now in the AFC, it, it feels like Mahomes just owns everything. Like you got to get through him just to even get a chance at the big game, which you might not even win. So I feel like for the teams in that conference, it feels like an even greater hill that you have to climb maybe than for some of these nfc teams um especially when you've got a guy of lamar's caliber who people talk about in the same dynamic light as mahomes and and he's a polarizing figure in the league because of it because he has the two mvps and hasn't made it to a super bowl uh it's now what 10 years since harbaugh won that super bowl with them as well like Sooner or later, people are going to start asking questions about him and whether or not he can deliver a Super Bowl win again. Um, it's not the highest of the highs, so maybe you're right in putting it slightly lower than I have them because he he does have the Super Bowl victory there already. Um, yeah, so I guess now that I, I'm mentioning the Super Bowl victory, I'm, I'm seeing it more on your side. So I, I retract my comments. <laughs> well, thank you, Patrick. I. I, you make a fair point that, I mean, he's got multiple MVPs and no no real hardware to show for um, even just making it to the Super Bowl or only a couple playoff wins here. Uh, where I, I think we're looking at this differently is the reason that I have some of the teams on the NFC side, particularly the Niners, higher on the hot seat list and um, with somewhat of a considerable gap compared to the Ravens is the fact that they don't have to deal with Mahomes like you said, and therefore their road should be easier because of that. Yeah. Um, And so there, there should be more pressure and you should be expected to get to the Super Bowl, like at a more frequent weight rate or higher than some of these teams in the AFC. Not that like everybody's expected to go to the Super Bowl every year, but the road generally should be easier to get there at least than, than these other teams in the AFC have to deal with. And so I think that that should in theory, take the pressure off. Besides the Cowboys and Niners, who's the NFC team with the hottest hot seat then? Is it the is it the Eagles? Eagles? Eagles, no doubt. I mean, they were talking about firing their head coach who had got them to a Super Bowl last year. You know, I mean, if he's already on the hot seat, so they're gonna be on the hot seat to to not just get there and win it. Like I think it's kind of unfair that Sirianni has this um like pedestal that he's already put on or, or this um I'm blanking on the word, but um, pedestal this, works. Pedestal works. This expectation to to deliver a Super Bowl already, um, and that like what he's doing right now is not good enough. But yeah, I mean, just based on the chatter from them and and everything, that the Eagles are next.
In terms of other teams we haven't mentioned then, I, I feel like we don't necessarily need to go into all of them, but between the Lions, Dolphins, and Bengals, who do you think has the hotter hot seat? Got to be Bengals out of those, just because I think you'd say Joe. I you I know you'd say Joe Burrow is the best quarterback out of those teams, and they've already been to the Super Bowl before. So there's an expectation that you should be able to get there. And also, when it comes to them, they are the only team that can say that they have a quarterback that can go toe to toe with Patrick Mahomes because Joe Burrow has a winning record against Mahomes, and he's beaten them in the playoffs before. So um, it's definitely the Bengals out of those remaining teams that you mentioned. I feel like it's actually the Dolphins. Um, before I talk about them, I love that neither of us went with the lions because I almost feel like maybe putting myself in the shoes of a lions fan, maybe this almost felt like a super bowl run to them, even though they didn't win it, even though they didn't get there, it probably felt just as awesome <laughs> in some ways. Cause like they won two playoff games, you know, like they, they had a pretty awesome postseason run and they had so much time since they had anything similar that it might've just felt like, Oh my God, like finally we're back sort of thing. You know, like it's hard to look back upon that in a negative light. So that's why I, I wouldn't say their hot seat is super, super hot. It's there, right? Somebody might, might've just put it on to, to simmer a little bit because you've got a taste of success. Now you want more. Um, I don't think you move the goalposts that quick for that. Um, I think, I think it's going to be a couple years before they start. Yeah, hammering Dan Campbell to to get to the Super Bowl, and I, like you said, he was only a game away from it this year. So agree. Uh, I I don't think that that's hot at all. I don't have the Bengals though as that next team because I almost feel like there is a. Uh, I don't really know how to describe this the right way. Um. Okay, here's my shot at it. With Joey Votto retiring with the Reds, I feel like, or. Theoretically, he's not retired, but not being with the Reds anymore, right? He's a free agent. He could theoretically sign and play with somebody else this year. He probably won't, but he could. Um, I feel like Burrow is just the guy in Cincinnati. And it's almost a situation where, like, unless he comes off the injury and it absolutely stinks, this is going to be a situation where they're just going to be happy to have him back for a full year. They'll probably make the playoffs. I don't know what what their season will look like, but I feel like it's almost like a, like Joe is their guy. Like, I don't think they're going to, I think coming off of this injury season, there's going to be a gap of a year before they really put the pedal to the metal on ox on expectations for them. Whereas with a team like Miami, right. This was a guy that was, this was a team that has, that has traded for a guy like Tyreek Hill, who is a part of this chiefs dynasty at the very beginning of it. And yes, I did just call it a dynasty as a Patriots fan. It's in that territory now. Um, you've got two of there who once again, struggled in the playoffs. You've got Mike McDaniel, who was this like sexy coaching hire and this and that we put up 70 points. Great. Awesome. They didn't do Jack squat at the end of the year. I feel like Miami could be the team where if they have a disappointing season next year, if they miss out on the playoffs, they'll change head coaches. That would be the team that I think has the, the the real Super Bowl hot seat. Like they have to have some kind of playoff run next year and show, just give the front office something to show in terms of investing more into Tua, into McDaniel, into Tyreek Hill, into that offense. 
Because right now they're like the Kirkland signature brand of whatever Shanahan is doing in San Francisco. <laughs> it's like value in bulk. But if you're just looking at it by itself, it's not quite there. So I see where we have a disconnect on how we're looking at this here. Um, I I think that the Dolphins can go on a, a playoff run where they win one or two games. And that's enough to, to save any concern about McDaniel's job for the time being. Whereas I, that is not going to be the case in my opinion with uh, Cincinnati. And I don't think either coach is going to be fired or let go Zach Taylor or Mike McDaniel based on an early exit in the playoffs this upcoming year. I think that there's still been enough success in recent years to put that off for at least this upcoming year. Um, I actually think Zach Taylor did a very good job this year. In fact, with, with Burrow going down, but the, there, there will be no, you know, take a year to get back into things, Joe Burrow mentality in Cincinnati. That team's got to start winning fast because that contract's going to hit pretty soon. And they're going to have to start paying guys. And like T. Higgins might already be walking this year. And, you know, they're going to have, they're not going to be able to pay everybody that they've had for the past couple of years. The, the meter is up in there in Cincinnati. They need to win and they need to win quickly because they're not going to necessarily have as much talent around them in the years to come as they have had in this, uh, these previous two, three years. So I, I think it's very, very much on the hot stove for the Cincinnati Bengals. Okay. Yeah. I, I can understand that. I can understand that. Um, you had something else you wanted to, to ask me in terms of Mahomes' legacy following this game, right? I did. I did. And I think that this is probably a good way to, to close the show because, and it kind of segues into the point that you made about the chiefs being a dynasty and there's no real need to debate that they, they are a dynasty right now with um, the three super bowls and I, they're still pushing for more. We we've already talked about that. I, when we did the, the super bowl legacy and when you talked a lot and at length about Patrick Mahomes compared to Tom Brady, I already had Patrick Mahomes as my second quarterback, second best quarterback in NFL history. I already had put him above guys like Montana and Elway, who you didn't necessarily, you couldn't quite get there yet before seeing the outcome of this Super Bowl. After seeing Mahomes win it and play exceptionally well in a game where he goes over 300 yards, has two touchdowns, have you moved him up at all uh, in the all-time list? Yeah, so last time we talked, I said he was in that, kind of near the top of that second tier of greats and that he needed a win in order to elevate himself to the top tier. So I will... Right now, say he's on the GOAT shortlist. He's not at the top of the list, but he's on the shortlist. He's in the same conversation as Brady in Montana. Brady is still, like, way clear of him, okay? If they're climbing Mount Everest, Brady's been at the summit for a month. He's figured out a heating system to where he can live up there comfortably, eat avocado ice cream without it getting too frozen, and he can find a way to play a round of golf or something on the side up there too. Whereas uh, Mahomes is still trekking up that summit. He's got a long way to go. He's a little less than a halfway there, but he found a good route and there's a chance he makes it to the top. Um, mm -hmm. Okay. I, I think he's in that conversation, rightfully so. And he will continue to be in that conversation till the end of time. Um, I don't necessarily know if I would put him over Montana. I still think going four for four Super Bowl wins and Super Bowl appearances stands for something. Like that's something that I think 
people who have seen both Montana and Mahomes play, which I have not, by the way, but people who have seen them both play, I think that's something that they would reference. Um, but in terms of like eye test, right? Mahomes, no doubt, is probably, if not the most talented quarterback I've ever seen, he's one of them, man. Like just the things he can do, the way he can elevate the team, the feeling that you have as an opponent or as a neutral party watching big games that he's in. It's like I said earlier, like I got to a point in this game where I, I didn't have any doubt as to what the final result was going to be. It was just a matter of time and a manner of execution. Like it was like, like uh, that board game clue, right? Colonel mustard in the dining room with, uh, with, with the, I was never a big clue guy, but <laughs> I, I wasn't either, but you know what I'm saying? Like it was only a matter of time and how Mahomes was going to do it uh yeah orchestrating that win it. um I, st- I still don't think he's anywhere close to the top of the mountain he's gonna need i still think so, it's so, eight so, super bowl wins but so, he's on his way so yeah patrick patrick let me let me i'm sorry to interrupt you i i understand no, that and you 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 made that clear last week that and that wasn't the question at hand i was saying have you bumped him up over any of the guys that you previously had ahead of him and it seems like you're yeah. still have Montana a shade ahead of him, but who are some of the quarterbacks that you previously were saying, all right, like I'm not quite there yet before he wins that. I think I said that. That was more what I'm asking. I gotcha. Yeah. I I think if I'm not mistaken, I had him um, in the same context as guys like uh, Elway, guys like uh, Peyton Manning, even guys okay. with two Super Bowl rings. Like I think Troy Aikman was in there, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, some others along those lines. I'd have to have to go back and look at the whole list that I had. And now, but I would do say definitive, do you definitively have them above to have Mahomes above those guys that you just mentioned? Yeah, I think I just said he's he's clear okay. cut to me in the top three now all time. Like it's okay. there's it's like I'm sure you could find a. Somebody could come up with an argument to not have him in that conversation for the top three. But to me, that one. Yeah. To me, you're just trying too hard. If you're doing that, like, come on, man, it's, it's Patrick fucking Mahomes. Like at this point, I smartened up before the Super Bowl, And I said, I don't think I can ever bet against him again. And I'm, I proved my point with the Super Bowl win. Um, Yeah. I, I would, I would still take Brady. But if I had to start with anybody else, I might. I know start you would still Mahomes. take Brady. I might start yeah. with Mahomes as my second guy. Yep, yeah. yeah. I had him at two going into this game. I said I had him at two, win or uh, win or lose, uh, because he was still going to be on pace for uh, six, seven Super Bowls, even with a loss in this one. Uh, now it's just a matter of time. Can he play long enough? I think that's the only question we really have to ask ourselves. And obviously, I guess can he avoid a, a major injury? That kind of goes hand in hand, but. He's uh for me, I have him clear above Montana, same amount of Super Bowl MVPs. He's got one less Super Bowl so far, but he's had the basically the same amount of postseason success and uh less amount of time, and he'll get there. So, like I said last week, cherish it, listeners out there. Cherish watching him watching him. Even if you don't like the Chiefs and you don't like Patrick Mahomes, you don't like the Swifties, or you don't like his wife, or whatever the story may be cherish it because you are watching greatness every time he steps out on the field and one day it will be over. And I want to say also, I think that. So Elway was the, was the guy that I had Mahomes kind of neck and neck with. And um, 
as of right now, Elway has two Super Bowl wins and five appearances. Mahomes has three and four. So I, I think you have to give the leg up to Mahomes. But I have seen some articles today where folks have, have listed Elway ahead of Mahomes in some aspects just because these are guys who saw Elway play, saw his level of talent. It took Elway a long time to finally get over the hump and win his Super Bowls. He did so at the end of his career. Um, I will say that for Mahomes, um, I think something that, that works kind of in his favor is that we just got through this run of seeing seeing Brady's greatness for like 20 years. So people kind of got warmed up to it, right? You know what I mean? Like that was an unprecedented level of success, but it happened for so long, so recently that now people kind of do expect it. And the fact that Mahomes is not just checking off those boxes, but doing it in a shorter time frame than Brady is going to lead to more hyperbolic conversations centered around him as the guy versus Tom. So like, if you look into all the numbers, Tom is still the goat, but Mahomes is well on his way to, to possibly being neck and neck with Brady, depending on how his career pans out. He's going to need to have this sustained success for another two to three, another two, six year stretches, at least to be honest. Yeah, probably needs 12, 12 more years and and he should be there if if you say this is like the one third point of his career. Well, that's if he does um, it at this pace. Like if there's anything that slows him down a little bit, it turns into more like a a 15 year plan than a 12 year plan. He's already played six seasons. Like at that point, you're saying he has to have a 20 year career as a quarterback in the league. It's not really easy to do. Like you got to stay healthy. You you have to keep performing well, also. Like I just think there's a lot of things that aren't certainties that aren't guarantees that need to happen. And like, yes, I'm a Brady guy, but I don't want Mahomes to fail. Like I'm enjoying watching his success. It's cool. It's awesome. I thought that when Brady retired, that was going to be the last of something like that. We've ever, we would ever see. And while I don't want him to, to catch Brady selfishly at the same time, like you were sort of saying, it's so incredible to witness and and just the feeling of like the Super Bowl party I, ha- I had in my house. Everybody's over and towards the end of the game, everybody's like, yeah, how are the Chiefs going to win? And even though nobody in the room was Chiefs fans, it was almost like you couldn't help but root for him a little bit just out of pure instinct as someone who loves sports. Um, again, I don't want Mahomes to catch Brady, but like... It, you can't ignore greatness at the same time. And I'm just trying to appreciate where he's at. And as long as it lasts, because I don't think it's going to last forever. And if he truly does ever eclipse Brady, not just in playoff wins. Okay. But in all the stats across the board, like that would be truly, truly special. And it would be one of the greatest sporting achievements in American history or, or really anywhere. Indeed it would be. Indeed, it would be. And I think he's on his way. So we'll see. Only time will tell. Time will tell indeed. Time will tell indeed. Um, damn, man. Fifth and long just finished up its first season. That's crazy. Thank you yeah, guys did, so man. much for, for being along for the ride with us. Paul and I have had a blast. Has been. Has been awesome. Um, and I'm looking forward to talking more more sports with you guys down the road. 
but yeah, Ed, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for helping us get our uh, our feet off the ground here with this thing. It has been a lot of fun, and we appreciate uh, you guys listening and tuning in and and helping us uh, raise this platform. We are going to continue fifth and long content in the off season. You may not hear from us for a week or so, just just depending on on what happens. We're trying to figure out. Uh, what exactly we want to do with off-season content. We've got some ideas, but we're open to suggestions as well. Paul, what was your favorite moment of this football season? Oh, man, I got to think about this. I mean, breaking down the Super Bowl is a lot of fun. I think Super Bowl Media Week was was probably the best because we really were able to pump out a lot of content there and we're able to relive you know, in that Super Bowl nostalgia episode, was kind of able to relive some of the glory days for the Steelers, and I, you were able to do the same with the Patriots. But, but man, you know what? Uh, in addition to that, just one more thing to throw on on top of it. I think it was this podcast really gave me an avenue to look at and see the development of some of these young quarterbacks in the league firsthand, like following CJ Stroud closely week in, week out, following Jordan Love week in and week out and seeing how well he progressed week to week, both those guys in particular, like because I'm following what happens in their games, I'm checking their stat lines like more religiously because we're going to comment on it. That was cool to see. Like I felt like it was, it was easier to see, how players were getting better throughout the course of the year. Not just those two guys, but those are the two ones that stand out to me the most. I think my favorite moments of the show was when I unknowingly and systematically grim reapered the likes of Tommy Cutlets and Jake Browning and basically back-to-back <laughs> -back weeks. Like one week to another and after I like praised them and I even still was trying to go back on the Jake Browning train at the end of the year, when I said that the Titans were going to trade for him after bringing in, yeah. uh, bringing in the Bengals OC as their head coach, which still could happen, still could happen. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, to, to your point, being able to like, just, I already watched a lot of football before doing the show. And I think partly because of how much football I watched was what led uh me to immediately jump on when you reached out to me about continuing and being able to see the progression of those guys that, that I wouldn't normally pay attention to. Like I'll even go as far as to say as me as a new England Patriots fan, if not for this podcast, there's a small chance that at the midway point in this season, I just stopped watching football altogether. And I'm really glad that didn't happen because it was an awesome season, really awesome playoff run as well. There were some fantastic games not just in the postseason, but in the final weeks of the year leading up to the postseason as well. That Rams-Ravens overtime game in Baltimore in like week 14 or 15 or something. It might have been a week before that. That was that was such an awesome game. And I remember I was like hooked watching every play of that, um, trying to make sure that that I knew what I wanted to, to break down about it on the following show. Um, Super Bowl Media Week was also great. We, we've been able to connect with some folks who, who run shows of their own, which I've loved and, and hope that we get to do more of. So um, my thanks to y'all who, who've been listening to the show, who've been following along with us since mid October. Now, I, I mean, we've been doing this four months. Um, thanks so much because Paul and I have put a ton of work into this and originally, um, you know, we're, we're still doing it for fun. We still have fun doing it. And that was kind of the original genesis of it. And I think as we've gone, we've had more fun as we've 
learned more about how we want to go about it. It's something we're still working on. And uh, yeah, man, it's been a blast. And and we couldn't do it without you guys tuning in each and every week as well. So thank you, Paul. Thank you as well, my friends. No other guy I'd, I'd want to be doing this with. This has been an absolute blast. And uh, we're going to have to come up with with uh, some ways to make the early parts of next season exciting. We, we never did. We didn't get a chance to do a, a season preview episode or anything like that. So you can definitely look forward to maybe come uh, August or something, uh, NFL futures show and, and full in-depth predictions for teams and whatnot. I'm already getting jittery thinking about the sports calendar between now and then we got a lot of stuff on the table. Fifth and long ain't done yet, boys and girls. Absolutely guys. And, and don't, don't confuse anything. Uh, we're going to be, we're going to be pumping out content still, unless there's plenty of stuff going on. We got March madness coming up, hockey, NBA, and the MLB, uh, you know, start of spring training is right around the corner. So don't you guys worry. Uh, we're still gonna have plenty of stuff, but yeah, it's been a blast. Thanks everybody. And, uh, as always, God bless. Paul, my friend, get some rest. Go into hibernation mode for a week, whatever it is you need to do, because when we pick back up, we're rolling, my friend. Fifth and long listeners, we hope you enjoyed. Uh, shout out to everybody who participated with us in Super Bowl Media Week. Uh, Wayne Breezy, Eric Lepardis for coming on the show as well. You guys were great. And who knows, maybe we'll have some follow-up stuff with uh, with some Chiefs and, and Niners fans this week as well. Be on the lookout. Um, on behalf of myself and the commish, Fifth and Long fans, we hope you enjoyed your Super Bowl. Thanks for tuning in in the 2023 and 24 season. And we'll see you again real soon right here on the Fifth and Long Podcast. <laughs>